0: Welcome to Music History Monday for June 7th, 2021. I'm Bob Greenberg, and the title for today's podcast is When Opera Singers Misbehave. If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at patreon.com slash Music, where I blog, vlog, podcast, pontificate, review, and bloviate four to six times a week. An early timeout. Before we address the particular bit of operatic misbehavior that occurred on this date in 1727, we must momentarily step back and take a larger look at the title of today's post when opera singers misbehave. Because where do we start? Like writing a post entitled, Alcoholics? in the Soviet government, or humorless people at the FBI, or morticians who wear black. The litany and literature of misconduct on the part of opera singers is near endless, like a list of cows that give milk, or female mosquitoes that sting. The next time any of us ask ourselves that bewildering question, Why would anyone in his or her right mind want to be president? I would suggest we respond to ourselves this way. Because they aren't talented enough to be opera singers. The ego, overweening self-importance, naked ambition, exhibitionism, love of performing and even on occasion megalomania that drives politicians to seek high and highest office, are as necessary for an opera singer as a beautiful voice. Opera singers must be willing, able, and prepared to take the stage, not infrequently wearing many pounds of costuming and makeup, and sing unamplified, with unerring accuracy and artistry while acting and strutting about the stage for two, three, and even four hours at a stretch, in front of three, four, or five thousand people. It is not a job for the timid or faint of heart. The traditional heroes of the Opera House are those singers with the highest voices. Sopranos, particularly those skilled at coloratura, meaning elaborate virtuosic embellishment, and tenors. Sopranos and tenors are, more often than not, the stars of an operatic show. The first woman, prima donna, and first man, Primo Homo. At the tippy top of the heap are the operatic goddesses, diva singular, dive plural, and gods, divo singular, divi plural. In particular, the goddesses are shrinking violets, not. They know exactly who and what they are, and they will not allow any one of us to forget it. Listen. You want to talk about overwhelming stage presence and preternatural glamour, true glamour? You can keep your Rita Hayworths, Meryl Streeps, Brigitte Bardot's, and Hermione Gingold's. I'll take Maria Callas, Leontine Price, Renata Tibaldi, Jessie Norman, Anna Netrebko, and Elena Garantcha any day of the week, any hour of the day. My God, those singers? That's presence. That's glamour. Awesome genetics and brutally hard work and dedication have made these elite singers true goddesses. And don't they freaking know it. A final observation. The competition between the great divas, the great divae, can be ferocious. And like feral cats, they are just as likely to tear each other to shreds as to coexist. OK, we are now prepared to deal with the topic of today's post. On June 7th, 1727, 294 years ago today, a long running feud between the sopranos Francesca Cuzzoni and Faustina Bordoni broke out into open warfare a screaming, hair pulling, dress ripping physical altercation on stage in London, during a performance of Giovanni Bonancini's opera, Astianate, of 1725. After pulling the ladies apart and dragging them from the stage, not only was the remainder of the performance cancelled, but the remainder of George Frederick Handel's Royal Academy of Music Opera season as well. For our information... Sources are in disagreement as to whether this brouhaha took place on Tuesday, June 6th or Wednesday, June 7th, 1727. Obviously, I've chosen to run with the latter date. Here's what happened. The Italian operatic soprano Francesca Cuzzoni was born in Parma on April 2nd, 1696, and died on June 19th, 1778, in Bologna. In 1718, at the age of 22, she made her Venetian opera debut, the equivalent today of making a La Scala, or Metropolitan Opera debut. By 1723, the year she made her London debut, Cuzzoni was one of the most celebrated singers in all of Europe. Then, as now, star singers ruled the operatic roost, and London's greatest opera impresario, none other than George Frederick Handel, 1685 to 1759, wanted her as his prima donna. Her arrival in London was anticipated with great excitement. On October twenty-seventh, 1722, the London Journal reported that, quote, Mrs. Cazzona," spelling error there, an extraordinary Italian lady is expected daily, unquote. Perhaps even more extraordinary than Cuzzoni's voice was her rotten temper, euphemistically called fiery in the literature, and epically bad attitude, which, to coin a word, we will now refer to as divitude. Handel got the full measure of Cuzzoni's divitude at their first rehearsal together. She was to create the leading role of Theophanie, in Handel's Ottone at the King's Theatre, Haymarket, which was to receive its premiere on January 12, seventeen twenty-three, according to Handel's first biographer John Mainwaring, seventeen twenty-four to eighteen o seven, La Cuzzoni outright refused to sing her first aria, *Falsa, Imagine*, because she claimed the number had originally been written for someone else. Handel was a big man, long accustomed to dealing with singers. He responded, Oh! Madame, I know well that you are a real she-devil, but I hereby give you notice, me, that I am Beelzebub, the chief of devils. Whereupon, writes Manwaring, Handel took her up by the waist and, if she made any more words, swore. That he would fling her out of the window. Effective management, we think, as Ottoni was a triumph. Not only did Cuzzoni perform Falsa Imagine, but it became a signature number for her. According to Charles Burney, who was there, Falsa Imagine, quote, fixed her reputation as an expressive and pathetic, meaning deeply emotional, singer. Unquote. Bernie, the subject of my music history Monday post on April 12th of this year, described Francesca Cuzzoni as being physically quote, short and squat, with a doughy cross face but fine complexion, not a good actress, dressed ill and was silly and fantastical. Unquote. Nevertheless, Cuzzoni remained a mainstay in Handel's company the Royal Academy of Music for five years. Altogether, he composed nine roles for her, including that of Cleopatra in Giulio Cesare, Julius Caesar. The Italian mezzo-soprano Faustina Bordoni was born in Venice on March 30th, 1697, and died in Venice on November 4th, 1781. Such was her fame and popularity as an opera singer on the continent that by the early 1720s, like Cher and Madonna today, she was universally known simply as Faustina. In 1726, Handel acquired the services of Faustina as well. She made her London debut as Roseanne in Handel's Alessandro, Alexander the Great, playing opposite Francesca Cuzzoni, who sang the role of Lisara, While the two had sung together in Venice years before to no ill effect, they were now competing star sopranos in Handel's company and the blood between them was bad from day one. As far as Cuzzoni was concerned, the hiring of Faustina Bordoni was a personal affront. It didn't help either that Bordoni was an attractive, graceful woman known not just for her voice but for her acting as well. According to Handel's contemporary, the composer J.J. Quantz, who will be featured on Music History Monday this coming July 12th. quote, Faustina possessed what the Italians call un cantar granito. Her execution was articulate and brilliant. She had a fluent tongue for pronouncing words rapidly and distinctly. She sang adagios with great passion and expression. She had a clear and quick judgment in giving to words their full value and expression. In her performance, she possessed that flexibility of muscles and face play which constitute expression, and succeeded equally well in furious, tender, and amorous parts. In short, She was born for singing and acting. You know, in retrospect, Handel should have avoided at all costs putting the divas Francesca Cuzzoni and Faustina Bordoni on the same stage together. But given the fees he was paying them, for example, Cuzzoni was paid 2,000 pounds per season, the equivalent today of roughly $700,000. He couldn't afford not to put them on stage together. So he composed a series of operas like Alessandro that featured two female leads, and he did everything he could to give them equal dramatic and musical prominence. In the end, it wasn't enough. The rivalry between Cuzzoni and Bardoni quickly became public knowledge. The bigwigs and fat cats that attended the opera there in London took sides, all the while egged on by the press, which sold more papers by fueling the dispute. Leading the Cuzzoni camp were such people of quality as Lady Pembroke and Lady Walpole. The Faustina camp was led by Sir Robert Walpole, Lady Cowper, Lady Delaware, and the Countess of Burlington, quote, Society ladies would dress in the same fashions as their respective heroines, and would boo and jeer when the other was on stage. Race horses were named after them. Cuzzoni and Faustina ran against each other at Newmarket. Lord John Hervey wrote In short, the whole world is gone mad upon this dispute. No cousinist. We'll go to a tavern with a Faustinian, and the ladies of one party have scratched those of the other out of their lists of visits, unquote. Heavens. It all came to a head on June seventh, 1727 at the Royal Haymarket Theatre during a performance of Giovanni Bononcini's opera Astinante. Taking his cue from Handel, Bononcini had been careful to divide the arias equally between his two prima donne. But by definition, you can only have one first lady, one prima donna, and the audience, playing its own role during the performance, booed and hissed whichever singer they did not support. Cuzzoni and Bardone were on stage together when a fight broke out in the audience. Well... That was it. The fiery and high-strung Kuzzoni snapped. She began to scream insults at Bordoni, who retaliated in kind. The two then began tearing at each other's hair, their coifs, and ripped off chunks of their costumes. It was at this point that their handlers finally intervened. They were pulled apart, dragged off the stage, and the performance was brought to a premature conclusion. That the Princess of Wales, Princess Caroline was in the audience and was thus witness to such scandalous behavior, added an extra bit of frisson to the fiasco. Needless to say, the press had a field day with the events of June 7th, 1727. On June 10th, the London Journal reported that, quote, a great disturbance happened at the opera, occasioned by the partisans of the two celebrated rival ladies, Cuzzoni and Faustina. The contention at first was only carried on by hissing on one side and clapping on the other, but proceeded at length to the melodious use of catcalls and other accompaniments, which manifested the zeal and politeness of that illustrious assembly." Unquote. Yeah, that account is rather wanting in titillating detail. The following description Written by Dr. John Arbuthnot and published under the title, quote, The Devil to Pay at St. James, or A Full and True Account of a Most Horrid and Bloody Battle Between Madame Faustina and Madame Cuzzoni, is a tad bit more graphic. Quote, Two of a trade seldom or ever agree. But who would have thought the infection should reach the Haymarket? "'and inspire two singing ladies "'to pull at each other's quaffs, "'to the no small disquiet of the directors, "'who, God help them, "'have enough to do to keep peace "'and quietness between them. "'I shall not determine who is the aggressor, "'but take the surer side "'and wisely pronounce them both at fault, "'for it is certainly an apparent shame "'that two such well-bred ladies "'should call bitch and whore, "'should scold and fight Like any Billingsgate. OMG. Management gagged on its crumpet. Something had to be done. Francesca Cuzzoni, who did indeed cast the first aspersion, was fired. Her contract cancelled. But that didn't work, as no one less than King George II, who had just acceded to the English throne. His wife, who had witnessed the event as Caroline, Princess of Wales, was now Queen Caroline. The king was a staunch supporter of Cuzzoni's and was incensed by her dismissal. The king threatened to withdraw his subsidy of Handel's company. That did the trick, and Cuzzoni's contract was reinstated. In the end, cleverness reigned supreme, and Cuzzoni... Was undone by her own divitude. New contracts were issued, and Faustina Bordoni was offered one guinea more than Francesca Cuzzoni. Well, who could tolerate such an insult? Certainly not Cuzzoni, who immediately resigned, packed her bags, and returned to Italy in a huff, or perhaps two huffs. We would imagine that the English-Italian language opera community, with its aristocratic pretensions to civility, high art, and continental sophistication, hoped to put this vulgar event in its rear-view mirror. But no such luck, and the war between the divas was immortalized the following year, in 1728, with the production of the groundbreaking English language satire, The Beggar's Opera, which features the squabbling and backbiting sopranos, Polly Peacham and Lucy Lockett. Thank you. To sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com.